वैष्णव गुरु परंपरा की जाए परिणाम प्रभु की जाए कोई भक्त बंद की जाए कोई प्रेम इवनिंग एवरीवन थैंक यू फॉर कमिंग सो जिस हैव एन फॉर्मल डिस्कशन एंड लेट यू डू योर पार्ट यू हैव टेस्ट क्वेश्चंस यू हैव फिफ्टी परसेंट ऑफ द क्वेश्चन यू नो Bhagavatam is not just a speaker, but a listener, an inquirer. Any question? A question about questions. Uh, in that verse about the uh, in the four, uh, fourth chapter of the Gita, when it talks, it talks about different things uh, in humble inquiries, and really the whole canon of scripture is questions and answers. And even uh, materially, a motivational person says the quality of our life depends on the quality of the questions that we ask. Could we apply that to our spiritual life too? Because we're, we're putting questions before you or we're, or we're not. If we're inquisitive and we're not just doing it for the sake of doing it, but we actually are trying to understand, is, would that be a symptom of our good health, spiritual health? I think so. If you're interested in the subject matter and exploring it, then naturally some questions will come to the foreground. And and you try to answer them as best you can and if you have an opportunity to ask someone who may know better then all the better someone has said that the quality of a life is determined by the questions that you ask Brickshit Marsh had some pretty good questions two principal questions that gave rise to the really essence of the Bhagavatam what's the best occupation the best way to preoccupy oneself in human life and Secondly, at the time of death in particular, what should one be preoccupied with? And then the answer begins with Savaipum Sampuru Dharmu Yato Bhakti Loksade Ayatuki Apatihatai Ayatmasam Prasidati And then several verses following that are the continuation of, of that answer in one sense. And then when we come to the tenth canto, the answer is given also in the narrative of the Leela in the uh, five chapters dealing with the Rasa dance, which is the, the zenith of the book. It reaches its high point there. It's answered there in the context of the narrative of the description of the Leela. It means the king was troubled with the uh, impending death. His question about life was really how to deal with death what should I do with my life? People have so many years and I only have so many days. So, it said that he had seven days to live. In one sense, the message of the Bhagavatam to us is what? That we all have only seven days to live. We should live our life like that. We're all going to die in seven days. Either Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, or Sunday. That's, the way. <laughs> That's all we have. So, one of those days will be passing from this world. So we should be preoccupied with death, but not in a morbid way, but in a healthy way. It's also, as much as one may say, the quality of your life will be determined by the questions you ask, the quality of life will be determined by how you die. All's well that ends well. So the book is about, the Bhagavatam is about death. I mean, that's what really brings on the questions of the king, and they are good questions. That's what brings it on, impending death, and 
that, uh, as I say, that's the condition we all find ourselves in. And so what, what to do about that? Sukadev appeared on the scene, as I mentioned last night. Sukadev, to answer the king. He was the answer, in one sense. In terms of his external appearance, and in terms of his internal preoccupation, he was the answer. He was naked. There's your answer. How to solve death. Go naked. It means, <laughs> it means he had no attachments. Death is a problem because we're attached. And we develop an identity based on those attachments. And it's being dismantled before us. We are, as I've many times said, our attachments. That's what makes up our sense of self, our desires. Just like the advertising industry understands that they have to make a certain kind of cigarette for a certain kind of man and a certain kind of woman certain kind of car, certain pair of shoes, and they know this is the person, what he like, he will, he drive, that's you in that car, that's you with that cigarette, that's you with that suit of clothes and so forth. So we are our attachments, our desires. And so that is a problem because, as they say, time and tide wait for no man or woman, so and that whole life is a struggle in one sense to with a false prospect that somehow we can we can solve the problem we can perpetuate our lives our dreams uh, material dreams our idea of life in our head even if we accept the wisdom that it won't be directly we try to foster it on to the next generation and extend our sense of self into our sons and daughters and so then they will live out my dream and through them I will be everything I I want to be basically someone that resists the system rather stubbornly we go against the grain but it's really a, a folly so to begin and to dismantle that sense of self ahead of time that is yoga that's wise and this is what the, the boy did so many people came on the scene where the Raj was seated at the bank of the Ganga. So many thoughts came, so many ideas, what to do, what's the best thing to do, you could do this, you could do that. And so many people were offering suggestions. What's the best thing to do with your life? And this is the, the Bhagavatam is sorting out all these different, just like in Gita, this yoga, that yoga, that yoga. Directly and indirectly, Krishna's talking about bhakti when he talks about this yoga or that yoga. He compares it to bhakti. Ninth chapter in particular, there's this kind, there's that kind of fellow. And then there's the Mahatma, Mahatma Nastamampartha, Daivim Prakati Mashrita, Bhagavatam, Andayaditarata, Chartishu Bhiknasarat. And in the Chatur Shlok, same thing is there. Bhitirekabhyam. Same language, basically, as the first sloka. Directly and indirectly, sorting it out. I remember many, many years ago, I was selling books, and a fellow told me, well, what are we supposed to do? Go through all the religions, you know, examine them and see, you know, which one's best? I said, yeah, it's <laughs> pretty much what you're supposed to do. That's what you're doing anyway. We call it religion or not. You're sorting through all the time, filtering what's the best way that you can spend your time, how you can be efficient and 
accomplish your ideals and so forth. So many people came and offered different suggestions. This is the, of course, they're not all recorded in the Bhagavatam, but that's the, the what was taking place. And then this naked boy appears. This is a king, he's not a child. To listen to a 16 year old boy. And other big rishis are sitting there also. Even Vyasa was sitting there. The father of Sukadev. And he sat up. Oh, what's he going to say? How will it come from him? I told it to him. What will it be like hearing it from him now? When he says it. He didn't think it was a static thing. Oh, I've heard that before. Well, I know that. I don't have to attend. So this is a living, organic, growing, dynamic thing. This Shastra is not like that. It's not like, I've said before that Prabhupada gave the example that the Shastra is like law books. When you hear that, you get this kind of like grounding kind of a feeling. Right, these are laws. It's all written down there and we know what to do. Just turn to page 108 and there will be the answer. And it's securing, it's comforting. Their answers, They're, it's all in the book. And, but as you read the book, you find it's not exactly like that. You study a tattva, and you find, oh, there's so many ways to think about it. And, and if you play that analogy out, law books, yeah. we have in our country law books, but what are the laws? They're being determined on, on a regular, on a daily basis, based on law and how it was interpreted in the past and so forth, given a new circumstance, how will it be rendered and so So you really see that the, if you play the analogy out, it becomes from a kind of a static thing, as it appeared at first, to a very dynamic thing. And while it's important, in one sense, in the beginning, to get a handle, if you will, on spiritual life, and it was probably was very good at that, if you read his books and you're like, wow, he's just saying it, like, this is how you do it, that's wrong and this is right. It's like, wow, I needed somebody to like sort that out for me in a way. He's very much uh, expert in that. But then if we don't read carefully, we don't study, if we don't practice well, then we may come under the misconception that, that spiritual life is really pretty, pretty black and white. And the fact of the matter is it's, it's like 256 plus shades of gray and it's very it's dynamic although that's what you were looking for originally and you needed more of a, a grounding if you will to come out of just the aimless wandering under the dictation of the mind as you get grounded in there then it's supposed to become exciting again and dynamic and moving in, in a new way and spiritual life is disconcerting as much as it's grounding and confirming, it's also keeping you on the edge of your seat. Especially in Gaudiya Vaishnavism, because it's a doctrine of love, and love is dynamic. This is kind of the idea. Love. So you move and move and move, and you can't be settled until you find your love. People are moving, looking for a relationship, right? And they're not satisfied. And then they find it. And immediately I come to rest, all that. I found it. And then what happens? You start to move again, but in another way, <laughs> around that relationship, and it's moving you. It's like a roller coaster. It's wild. And, but you can't get off. Especially with Gaudiya Vaishnavism. This, this is the case. 
good preachers are meant to help us appreciate that and challenge us and, and make us doubtful. We think we know. They create a doubt that makes for a teachable moment. Preachers are supposed to challenge our understanding, not to be mean or anything like that, not so that we can grow. That's the whole idea, so that we can grow. Prabhupada was, was very challenging to us. We had very different ideas about what was important and how to conduct oneself and so on. So well, there the boy came anyway, Sukadev, but come to unexpected. How, uh, and Vyas was even listening to him. What will come from what, what will he, how he will say it? This I said it one way to him, how it will come from him. What will he be his realization? What light will come to him? I mean that's it's just an, it's unlimited the topic. the sutra says. It, you cannot say enough about it. Where words having gone return, where the mind having gone returns. This should be encouraging to us, actually. And it's, as much as it's unsettling and we feel like, well, I don't know, I don't understand, I don't know it, that's good, because you really, that, you're, getting, you're getting it. It's, that means you're starting to understand it. It's unknowable. <laughs> and in that space, then you're teachable and there's growth. Growth is possible. And when we think, I read it all, I know it all, it's there. You can, and you can regurgitate it to somebody who doesn't know anything. And they think you know everything. And, and and you start to think you know everything. You don't need to hear from anybody, and so forth and so on. And then you're lost. So we don't find that examples in speaking of the Bhagavad Vyas was present. Narada was present. Narada is the guru of Vyas. He wanted to hear what the boy would say. And the fact that the boy was naked, sensible people could understand he should talk. Because you want to know really what death is and how to deal with it. What's the best way to lead my life, and what's the best thing to do at the time of death? What do I do in light of this fact that my existence seems to be threatened? What do I do about that? And wise people there, when Sugadev came, they thought, he knows the answer. He's naked. It means he solves the problem because he has no attachment. Vidya has arisen in him. With the origination of Vidya, then all klesha disappears, all suffering. And the course, what corresponds with vidya is, is its corollary is vairagya, detachment. But as I say, he was the answer in a twofold way. And it has to be a twofold way. Because we're not tagis, we're not gyanis. Ours is not a doctrine of knowledge, but a doctrine of love, which is the highest knowledge, ultimately. And it said, if you love someone, then they'll tell you all the secrets. This is very applicable to Bodhi Vaishnavism. What secrets can be found <laughs> about the secret life of Bhagawan? The secret hidden life, his heart, his anxiety, such a thing. God has an anxiety and a problem. That's like the whole religious world will become an anxiety if they found out that. God is an anxiety? He has a doubt? He, he, he has a problem? What, what's become of us? He's supposed to solve all our problems. That's not Gaudiya Vaishnavism. God is supposed to solve all the problems. There's no love in that. You understand? There's no love in that. It's not about me. 
bhakti is not about me. Therefore, gyan karmadi anabritam and anukulena krishnanushilanam. It means on his terms. And you have to be prepared to enjoy or to renounce if it's favorable for Krishna's service. You have to be a little bit disposed towards both. Rupa Goswami has explained this and he's explaining the eligibility, adhikar for bhakti. Gyan karma adhikar Gyan karma, this is the two planes on which our life runs. Mine and I. I'm everything, everything is mine. In a crude sense. And Rupa Goswami tells us at the very beginning, don't bring that in here. Gyan karmadi anabritam. This kind of bhakti I'm talking about. It means there might be other kinds of bhakti. Influenced by karma, influenced by gyan. Influenced by the desire to know and for its own sake, the desire to own. So this is different. This is about serving the one who owns and knows everything. No care is for you there. Your care is only to serve him. This is bhakti. Only to the Anukulena Krishna Anushilam, for the pleasure of Krishna. I mean, it's not hard to figure out. You think about it. If you had a servant, what would you have him do? <laughs> oh, get this, bring me that. Like that. That's how you have to be. It's a real simple thing. That's why we say sometimes, the highest position in the Barn Ashram is the Sudra, because he knows how to do what he's told. He has developed a sangskar for that will be, if brought in touch with the center, then will be so fruitful. Just does what he's told. Does what she's told, that's all. It's bhakti's not about giving anything to Krishna either, in one sense. It's just about being his servant. I mean, you give yourself. So it's not about us. It's not about getting anything for us. It's not about God solving our problems. It's about our solving His problem. Some explanation is required. <laughs> How God can have a problem. But if you understand the nature of love, psychology, then you can understand. Bhagavan could have a problem. Of course, this is a huge theological issue that's central to Gaudiya Vaishnavism. His problem is that he wants to be sure that Radha loves him. And that's the nature of conjugal love. You wonder, like she says, you never say you love me anymore. You know. <laughs> and he may wonder it too. He doesn't usually say that, but he may wonder it also. <laughs> this is the kind of the problem of God. And Gaudiya Vaishnavism is about tendering to that, bringing the union of Radha and Krishna fostering the union of Radha and Krishna. And so, externally, the boy was the solution to the problem. Externally, the problem of death is solved by detachment. But it's not fully solved in as much as we want to live. So, internally, his preoccupation was with Krishna Lila. He had heard it from Vyas and Although he was naked and detached, he was preoccupied with this love story. And so we're also to understand that beneath the story, the story is written on a canvas, if you will, of, well, Advaigyan Tattva, non-dual knowledge, 
it's heavy it's uh, arising out of that real bhajan life is performed on the stage of advaigyan tattva non-dual consciousness non-dual knowledge vedanti tattva vidas tattva mit jnanam advayam brahmiti paramatmiti bhagavaniti so he was externally the solution and internally the solution. Externally means vairagya, detachment, and arising out of, of course, naturally, out of bhakti. And internally he was the solution because solving the death problem has to include giving us a life, allowing us to continue to live. If we just stop it and sit still forever, then that's rather abstract idea of living. I mean, we know what it means to live, to move and interrelate and so on and so forth. So to stop that and live, if you will, in suspended animation is not a very inviting idea. It may be inviting because our present animation is rather troublesome. That's one thing. But no animation forever, to be frozen and alive, but frozen. <laughs> it's a, of course, it's a crude way of speaking about it. But that's the way the Vaishnavas speak about it, who have some experience of some movement in transcendence. Dancing. What kind of dancing? What kind of walking? You know, Brahma Samhita, Jiva Sami's commentary, that it says, Juma Bhumis Chintamani Ganamai Toyam Amritam Kataganam Natyam Gamanam Apivamsi Pirasaki. The nice description of, of Goloka. And the, the walking is is dancing, and the talking is singing. And Jiva Goswami makes a comment. He says, "So what must be the singing? What must be the dancing there? If the walking is dancing, and the talking is singing, what must be the singing? What must be the dancing? That place, movement, and movement, and." variety that doesn't compromise the unity as it does here. Our movement, our variety, sense of variety derived from mind is getting in the way of the unity that we sense is at the heart of reality. So the boy, anyway, was like the answer to the whole thing, just his person. And of course, then he began to speak. But the wise could understand. That's why they let him speak. Kids were following him and criticizing him and so forth. But Smart people all became quiet. It means all the thoughts in the mind, all the suggestions stopped. In this we find, as I say, in the narrative of Bhagavatam, same thing. How to solve the death problem. This is his query, his pariksha, his inquiry, sincere inquiry, serious inquiry, which, and of course, determined the quality of his life. See what kind of answer he got. In the narrative, what happens? There it's all building up Krishna's life in 10th canto. And he's trying to get Radhas to acknowledge, does she love me? She loves me, she loves me not. He's sitting with Subal, she loves me, she loves me not. She loves me, she loves me not. <laughs> Which is it? People like Subal, Madhumanga, they're counseling him. I think it's going to work out. Don't worry. <laughs> this is their seva. And then he's practicing his flute. Lord Shiva gave him a flute in Govardhan Lila. At the end of Govardhan Lila, you know, the gods came and gave benedictions to Krishna. Because in that Lila he was crowned Govinda, Upendra. It means king of the gods, god of gods. 
So gods came and they gave different gifts and so forth. Shiva gave flutes. So we took that bamboo flute home and began to practice on that flute with one idea in mind. How to capture the attention of that one gopi, Radha. So he played on the flute. And he, he found it was quite he was good at it. He could call the cows, he could make the river stop, and the stones melt and run like rivers. Tejo Bhagavatam says. This is all the beginning right in the beginning of Bhagavatam. And in tenth canto of course is being played out. Played the flute and then he one night he was able to play, and one day actually, and all so many gopis came. All the gopis came, except for one. So he said, "Go home. I'm a failure." <laughs> Until finally, this is this is all building up to this. Finally, on that Sarpuni, he successfully plays, and she comes also. And the fact that they came, all of them came, means also that they could have. They had a thousand and eight reasons why they shouldn't have gone. Good reasons, religious reasons, social reasons, practical reasons. I mean, it was late. <laughs> so many reasons. So much justification. But they heard the flute and they went. They didn't listen to anything. They heard, they went, and they died. That's the story of the Bhagavatam. After that, it's just an afterthought, reflecting. They died. This is what Sukadeva is telling the king. And they died. And this is how to solve the death problem, by making an ego death. He's saying, death that you're thinking about, that's nothing. That is a nothing thing. Mahaprabhu said, Narapi Mehoro. He said, In me you cannot find a scent of prema. If I thought I could get it by dying, someone said you could, by dying you can get it. I would have died a thousand times. Kill me a thousand times without even a second thought. But no, it's not so easy. Of course, death is a small thing, but in another sense it's a big thing and it would be solved by learning the art of dying. Bhagavatam is teaching the art of, of dying. And what is that? Sukadev had done it, and so he's going to tell the story. They could see that he had done it, wise, so they had him speak. And when he goes through the whole thing, from so many different angles, he explains it philosophically, even early on, as I say, this is coming in the beginning. But in the end, he tells it in such a compelling way. And it's all, of course, building up to that Krishna Lila. It's the Bhagwat Purana. It's the God Purana. It's, it's, that's what it is. It's not the, it's not the Vishnu Purana. It's the Srimad Bhagavatam. It means it's it's God under the influence of Sri. Under the influence. Not Sri under the influence of God. In Vaikuntha, but God under the influence of Sri. It has to be. That's what that verse means. Savai Pumsa Paro Dharma Gito Bhakti Rhoksaja. Ahitukiya Pratiyata Ayatmasam Prasidati. What's the verse about? This is the beginning answer, what's the best thing to do at the time of death? Or the best occupation for one in human society? What, of course, how you preoccupy yourself means what you'll think about at the time of death. This is a vaipum, sa vaipum, sa, for all beings, 
Sabai Pumsa Paro Dhamma Yato Bhakti Hoksaja. Shadu Bhakti Tvai Hoksaja. So who is that Hoksaja? This is a name for Narayan. No, yes, but this means it's a name for Krishna. How we know that it's a name for Krishna? We know because in 10th canto that name is used for Krishna. When he defeated that Shakatasura, then he was addressed in that way. But besides that, we know from the language in the next line, Ahoyitukiya Pratihata. You should do the bhakti to it, hoksaja. That is a haituki and a pratihata. You can't do that in Ryan. You can't do a haituki. You'd look at the sampradayas that want to go to Vaikuntha. Is that a haituki? What is the goal of the Ramanuja sampradaya? Who can say? In a word. Mukti. What is the goal of the Madhva sampradaya? Mukti. Granted, it's devotional mukti, mukti pade, mukti at the feet of Bhagwan. But they, it means I want something from God. There's some difference, distance between myself and God. God solved my problem. That's not a way to keep. Again, Rupa Goswami rejected at the beginning, gyan karmadiyana britam. This is not the kind of bhakti we're doing here. Why he emphasizes that too? Because we're going to come with gyan and karma, mancha. Desire. Because that's what the whole, our life is running on these two tracks. So he says, you're going to come with that, but leave it at the door. It means we'll come within bhakti and we'll gravitate towards some karma measure bhakti, gyan measure bhakti, rather than shuddha bhakti. You can be a shuddha bhakti in a general sense because that's your ideal, but at least we should know that it's our ideal, ideal and what it is and know it theoretically and so forth. And what do we call our goal? What do the Gaudiyas call their goal? Mukti? Hmm. had couldn't even listen to the word after he had been converted by Mahaprabhu. And Mahaprabhu saw the measure of his conversion, he was very happy. Our goal is Prem. Is Bhakti? Prem Bhakti. Prem. This is Gaudiya Vaishnava term. Prem Prayojan. And that is a Haituki. It's nothing for me. Well, it's, again, it's not God solving my problems, even up to the point of salvation. I, I don't desire salokya, sashti, samipya, salupya. I don't have to be on his planet if he doesn't want. Fine, I won't be there. I don't have to perform like his, opulence like his, so on, personal attendant, so on and so forth, all these things. No ulterior motive, ahoyituki. And ahoyituki means this gopi's love exemplifies that ahaituki in the fullest sense anapatiyata means in a general sense it means even liberation doesn't get in its way it doesn't even end at liberation but beyond that it means nothing can get in its way whatever get in, we put in its way only causes it to increase if you want unconditional love good idea then there are two conditions that must be met you have to be willing to give unlimitedly and you have to find someone who can take unlimitedly. Can Narayan take unlimitedly? He can take unlimitedly in Dasyaras, in Shantaras. This is reverential love. Is that the full face of love? If love is about union, reverential love is hardly 
bringing us together. It will separate us very much from that which is not love and bring us close in a reverential way, but not in terms of intimacy. There's always going to be in that bhakti bhakti, there's always going to be a sense of self that distances one from the object of love. And grog bhakti means to close the gap entirely. How do they close the gap? He's Brajabhasi. That's how they think of him. He's my pal, that's all. He's just like, he's not stronger than me. In fact, I might be stronger than him. And so on. That's how they think. That's what I mean, no gap. He's one of us. He's mine, Mamata. He's ours. He belongs to us. This is how they think. This is how they feel. This is their reality. This is a Haituki Bhakti. And Apartihata. Krishna can accept unlimitedly. Narayan cannot accept, except in Dasiras. He can accept, it's transcendental, so he can accept unlimitedly in those sentiments. But there he bows out from there after that. So this verse is speaking about that. And then in 10th Candlers, they say it's played out. And they went, they met him, they heard the flute, they went, they died. They died to what death is, attachment. This is the basic rendering or point that we can draw from that. So many reasons why they should have stayed at home. Good reasons, as I say, social, religious, religious reasons, practical reasons, but they didn't listen, they went. And what was the result? Death with them. Potentially, socially they were dead, finished, if they would be caught, but they didn't care for that. And they didn't worry about that. So they, they said, death to the ego that's involved in answering the flute call of Krishna. The two things go together. In the context of pursuing the flute call, we have to realize we have to die to our ego, but that will solve the death problem. And if we do it in the context of answering the flute, the clarion call of Krishna, then our prospect is so high, rather than taking a path that will, there are other paths that may kill the ego, but leave us stranded, so to speak, down a long, dead end. So these are the kind of answers that Parikshit Marsh got from that boy. His inquiring spirit was, I mean, he's named the inquirer. So yes, the quality of your questions will determine the quality of your, your life. So what's important, what to inquire about. So many things to inquire about. That's what, again, when Sukadev speaks in second canto, what does he say? There's thousands of questions in human society. The question he got from Pariksit Maharaj, he was very happy with that. Oh, Atma Tattva, you've inquired about the truth of the nature of the self and all such things. These, this is interesting to me. Like, you know, you, people who know me, you ask me a question. If you ask a certain kind of question, it, it turns me on. <laughs> and I go for, I'm preoccupied, you know, somewhere in the vicinity of that, or I can connect your question with my preoccupation. Other questions, well, that's not exactly where I'm preoccupied. I appreciate where you're at with that, and I can, but it won't do the same thing for me. These questions of preacher, they turned on the, the boy, Sukadev. He said, your questions are glorious.
these in human society, there are so many questions people are asking. But they're not even worth answering. They're not even worth the time. But your questions, oh, these are that very nice. That gave life to the speaker. As I say, that we began questioning the inquiring spirit is 50% of the equation. We should come as active participants in these kind of sessions. Not that you have to study up and get a bunch of questions, but I mean with an inquiring spirit and, and knowing that we're just in this together. This is something, whatever's happening here, you're as much part of it as I am, and I'm as much a witness to it as you are. Priyan eshate prashnan krito loka hitamipa atmavit samatapumsam shruta vyadishya paraha. Your question is glorious, he says, because it's beneficial to all kinds of people. The answer to this question is the prime subject matter for hearing and is approved by all transcendentalists. Shruta Vyadini Rajendra Vinam Shanti Sahasrasaha Apashitam Atmatattam Bhyeshu Guhamedin And then the converse he gives. Your question, that is exceptional. Everyone will benefit by hearing the answer to your question. It's wonderful. I pay my pranam to your question. This is bodhayantas purasparam tushanticha ramanticha satam prasanga mamavirya samvido bhavanti ritkarnarasayana katha tadjoshana rashpavabhargavatmani shradhalati bhakti manukramishiti Enter the satam sangam prasangam the association of honest people and this is what they are talking about. Bodhayantas parasparam tushyanti charamanti In mutually enlightening one another, their questions and answers. This is what the assembly of devotees is about. We enter there, we hear wonderful questions, we hear wonderful answers. If you come in the assembly, you get questions worth asking. Or you ask a question and you get an answer that makes you think, oh boy. You know, we are all just servants of Krishna. That's all. This is how we should preoccupy ourselves. So here he says the converse of good questions. Shrutav yadini rajendan rinam shanti sahasra apashita matmatattam yeshu riham edinam He says, Shrutav yadini rajendra rinam shanti sahasra There are thousands and thousands of questions in human society that people are asking. He doesn't say it here, but well, more or less he does. Most of them are subhuman. They're coming out of human mouths, but they're only subhuman. There are questions and inquiries about how to indulge. We are rational animals that said we have reasoning. There can be no greater abuse of that facility than using our reasoning to facilitate indulgence. Reasoning is meant to, is not only meant to separate us from the pain of indulgence. It's painful. Krishna says in the Gita, what? Dukkayena ebate. These senses, objects of senses, they are wombs that give birth to, to misery. So to use your reasoning, it's masochistic. To make a pact with the demands of the mind and the senses to indulge, to reason how to better indulge. Nothing could be a greater abuse of intelligence and nothing could be more unbecoming for a human being. It makes you a very ugly creature, more ferocious than the wild animal. Rather, we should use our reasoning power to 
understand the nature of indulgence on the one hand, and then to think rather than how to indulge, how to love, how to give, rather than how to take, how to give. So he said, there are so many questions in human society. And he says, Apashyatam atmatatpam griheshu grihamirinam. He says, people who are materially attached, this is what they're asking, how to indulge. It's very unbecoming. Whereas your question, they're beautiful. As I say, you're 50% of, of the equation. <laughs> you're beautiful people to come here and be interested in such topics. He's also saying it's rare. It's, it's rare today, too, in association of, in a society of devotees, people interested in hearing. Yes? Maharaj, Question. you talk about the give a death to the ego. Mm. But if we were to give a death to the ego today, what would be left of our self-concept? How would we think of ourselves if we were to be finished with all the, the ways that we think of ourselves right now? Well, I can put you at ease in one sense. First off, it's not going to happen to you today. <laughs> <laughs> so, relax. On the one hand. But... I can also ask you this. If you were going to kill your ego, right, who would do it? It would have to be me. Right. So there is a you. Yeah. That's the point. So we're talking about a particular ego or a particular identity that you were to kill. And how are we suggesting that you kill it? As I mentioned earlier, in the context of bhakti, to kill the ego. So what is bhakti about? Is bhakti about killing the ego? Marginally so. As big of a thing it is, and as important as it is, it's only marginally what bhakti is about. Therefore, he says again, avritam." This is the marginal characteristic of bhakti. What it's not, all these things, that identity based on I and mine, and the whimsical acts, uh, uh, that we perform dictated by the mind. This is only the marginal characteristic of bhakti. means what it's not. So the central focus of bhakti is not killing the ego. It's loving Krishna. That's what it's about. And so what is loving Krishna about? Well, it's about an attachment to Krishna. That's why asakti, that stage in bhakti. What does asakti mean? Attachment. How does Bhakti Vinod Thakur describe it? Anadi Karamapale Bhavanarnabajale. He describes just the opposite of it. He says, I've been swimming in an ocean of karma without beginning. Ocean of coming is a world of desires. And I have a certain identity, this false identity, and I'm trying to maintain this and so forth. That verse of Shikshas comes that corresponds to the Asakti, what does he say? Our material identity, that ego that we're supposed to kill, as I said earlier, it arises out of attachment, right? Where will our spiritual ego arise out of? Attachment. Mahaprabhu is saying, Ainanda Tanuja. He's saying, I want to live in the house of Nanda Maharaj. That's what he's saying. 
I want to have Balaram as my brother-in-law. Ainanda Tanuja, King God. He says, I want to marry Krishna. That's what he's saying. And be his uh, maidservant. When the girl marries, she moves into the house of the father. I want Nanda Maharaj as my father-in-law. That's what he's saying. This is coming into view now for him, in his heart. He has attachment to the object of his love, and he's clarifying it. So this is the basis of then his sarup, his spiritual identity. It's based on attachment, just like your material identity. So what's central to bhakti is what? Not detachment, but attachment. Cultivating attachment for Krishna. So because we're recommending to you that you kill your material identity in the context of cultivating your spiritual identity, then you tell me what will happen if you do that today. You see? Where would you be? Then you would be in Goloka. <laughs> then you would be in the house of Nanda Maharaj. You would be living there. Then you would think, as a gopi, or as gopa, that Nanda Maharaj is our father. Dushodamaya is our mother. They are the real father and mother of everybody in Vrindavan. The king and the queen of Vrindavan. All the gopus, they think. It's like village life. She's the super mother. She's Vatsalya Rasa to the extreme. Dushodamaya. This is what you should think. I want to have Mother Yashoda as my mother. Nanda Maharaj is my father. This is bhakti. It's audacious to think like that, considering all of our attachments and how unbecoming our present identity is. But blame Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. He came and did the whole thing. He's told you to do it. He's set the ball rolling. He's let the cat out of the bag. You know, he's opened. <laughs> he's opened the, the, the gates to Sweta Dweep. Sweta Dweep. That's private island. Audarja. He's made it available. So he's to blame. And as unqualified as it may seem, I said, that's what I want. I want that. Nothing else. And that, that should be cultivated, as I said the other day, to the point that if Krishna should come to you today and say, why don't you become my queen? I'll give it to you today. You could become my queen in Dwarka. Come. No. No. I'm not interested in that. When you feel like that, then you know you make progress. You make progress. <laughs> you want the Braj Bhakti. You want Krishna, Swami Bhagavan himself. You want to serve him there. The Drag Bhakti. Prabhupada's coming from there. Emissary from there. Golok, Kero, Premo, Dhan, Mahaprabhu's coming from there. And within there, Golok, Svetadvip, means it's. It's special, it's Vrindavan, but it's special, it's, it's Gorlok, within Golok. Where things that Golok can't be found, can be found there. <laughs> that's extraordinary. Because we think of Gorlok, you know, Gor's outreach to bring us within, and that's true. But if we go very deep within, Krishna Leela, we find ourselves in a shortcoming of Krishna Leela that then sets in satisfied by, by Gor Leela. So this, uh, therefore, 
Radha, Krishna, Pranay, Vikutila, Dini, Shakti, Rasmari, Katmanovapi, Bhuvi, Pura, Deham, Vidogato, Chaitanya, Kyam. The two, if he's one, the one becomes two, the two again become one, and again become two, and this is Radha, Krishna, Pranay. The love of Radha and Krishna is Ladini Shakti, under the shelter of Ladini Shakti. This is the spirit, in other words. If Krishna was to come to you today and say, Look, you could come, be my queen in Dwarka, take you today. <laughs> Tempting, huh? <laughs> Tempting. <laughs> you need association to know, to know better. You said you should do it. Is that what you No. Of course. <laughs> No. Okay. no, you see, then you want something. You should say, no, I don't want anything, Krishna. I don't want any use of my problems. Well, you see, the thing is interesting. Wanting to serve in Vrindavan means not wanting anything. That's what it means in the fullest sense. Wanting to serve in Dwarka, it also means wanting something. There's some distance between you and Bhagwan. Rukmini's got some distance. She had to follow the Vedic law. She thought. She wouldn't go and run away to greet Krishna. She asked him to come and kidnap her for marriage. Some sense of self she was preserving. Gopis are not like that. So, yes, you say, well, if you desire to go to Vrindavan, isn't that selfish? No, because you know, what is that place? That's what it is. It's complete, absolute selflessness, self-forgetfulness. So, the union between Bhagawan and the Jeev is completely there. There's no distance between them. He is one of them. So this, you see, in good company you get this focus. This is what this what Rupa Goswami is talking about. This is the path I'm on. That's why we need association. Then we get our goal fixed on the sadhya, on the ideal, the prayojan. And then if Krishna comes and says, Come. What if Narayan comes and says, come to Vaikuntha today? Then you'd say no, right? You're not sure. But <laughs> <laughs> he's testing you. Do you love me? They love it in, in Vaikuntha. But the nature of the love is such that it's so pale, it pales so in comparison to Vrindavan that we don't even like to call it love. It's all rule-oriented. It's all dutiful love. He's God. Or he should be served. We should do it. And we do it enthusiastically because he's wonderful but there's some calculation involved you see, he's God oh. I've told a story before about how some of you may have heard so forgive me for repeating but it's worth it I was in South India at a Sanskrit school about a decade ago my governor Shingamarsh took me there and we, we met with a gentleman and, and he took us around to some places and and it was in the Ramanuja Sampradaya Brahman, and he ran the Sanskrit school. And so he was serving us prasadam. Very nice man, very nice devotee of Lakshmi Narayan. And so we were all chatting, and, we, and he was serving prasadam, and we were discussing Harikata, and he was very happy, Krishna Kata. So Nishingamar said to him, You know, Pandaji, he said, I've noticed one thing that whenever we talk about Krishna, you become so jolly. He said, Oh, yes, yes, yes. And then Mar says, But when we talk about Narayan, he said, That is another thing. His face became like so better than another thing. Um, I mean, it was inspiring to me to see his his bhava just coming right out of that is another thing. Yes, uh, yeah. Narayan has a playful side as Krishna. Sometimes we can think like that, but he's God actually. I'm his servant. 
So there's some calculation there, is the idea. And Mahaprabhu wanted to teach Gyan Shunya Bhakti. Bhakti devoid of Gyan, which means kind of a divine ignorance. You don't even know that he's God. That gets in the way. That is the Vrindavan idea. And, in, and as I said before also, in rules, in following rules, there's no love. And in love, there's no rules. So, that's why they behave the way they do in Vrindavan. There are no rules. Brahma saw the cowherds eating. And what did he see? He saw Krishna putting food in his friend's mouth and taking it out and putting it in his mouth. And, and just, like you come and see your kids and there they all are covered with dirt. And What are you doing? Mm-hmm. And the gods had praised this boy and Vidhi himself, another name for Brahma, rules himself, came in on this swan carrier and said, what's the commotion? Is this? This is what it's about? These people? Uncivilized people? Country people? Village people? Cow people? They don't know how to read and write, these kind of people, practically. And the gods are, like, giving praise here? He couldn't figure it out. Of course, Krishna helped him. <laughs> That's the whole Brahma Vimohan Lila. What would be the best word in English to translate the word bhakti? Is it loving devotion? Is it loving service? To me, the word service has um, not a very good connotation because of what service in, uh, in the material sense implies being subjugated to somebody. It's not very positive. So mm-hmm. when I hear the word service, what is the actual meaning of the word bhakti? Mm-hmm. Because we use service, service, service all the time in all the books and everything. But It comes from the root, Sanskrit root, bhaj. It means two things. It means to take and to share. So it very much goes to the heart of our metaphysics, actually. Beda bed, achinti beda bed. And different people, of course, rendered it in, in different ways. I think that Prabhupada rendered it devotional service because he wanted to underscore the fact that the basis of love is service. In other words, it's doing what somebody else wants, rather than what you want. And But obviously, it, it's also, and he was very concerned about seeing that his students develop the serving ego, which is, is appropriate and so forth. But obviously, it, it reaches beyond that in a full expression of love, bhakti, and it takes the shape of things that don't, don't even look like service. When Mother Yasoda is chasing Krishna with a stick, it doesn't look like she's serving him, it doesn't look like it's anukul, but it is, because it's filled with affection. So you could say, it means, um, bhakti means, I guess you could say loving, devotion. Of course, we say prem bhakti, we want to qualify the kind of bhakti we're interested in. We have sadhana bhakti, we have bhava bhakti, and our ideal is prem bhakti. Yeah, I guess loving service is good. Is that the one you liked? Well, well like service. service service is a material term, and bhakti is a transcendental term. So how we transpose the one to the other to me, and what it really means, that's the question. You say that service is a material term. Mm-hmm. In other words, we have a material, material conception of the word service. We, you know, when we read these books and we try to follow the process, we know that we have to become egoless eventually. 
to the service at whatever level. But it's still, like I said before, stinged with this kind of um, subjugation. Being subjugated. Being subjugated. Is that a problem? Yes. <laughs> material, yes. Depends on the master, there. Yeah. Well, we're talking about material and transcendental. Right. Yes, it has a Well, I don't know what any word that we use is going to have a material connotation yeah. as well. Mm. But when you talk about love and devotion or something like that, it's, you know, it's more uplifting, so to speak. Well, I, you just use the word I used often. I use the word giving. I, I like to say that love is about giving. So bhakti is about, about giving and accepting. It's about accepting what he's giving and giving back. Bhakti, to give without expectation of getting, that's bhakti. As we've been speaking, I think that bhakti and vaikuntha would be more meta-rendered service, in terms of the way you're thinking about it. So there are different kinds of bhakti also, therefore prem bhakti, therefore love. Yes? How do you, um, in the present state of the world, it seems like because there's so much suffering and so much, uh, it seems like the desire for liberation would be so tempting for people who are who are suffering or for you know even if if you're even marginally aware of like the condition of the planet or something like anything would be better than to exist here. You know? Like going to Vaikuntha would be an upgrade. Would be would be great. You know? Why not go to Vaikuntha? I mean. So then the aspiration for... So how do we stop people from <laughs> going to Vaikuntha? This is what he wants to know. Great like idea. <laughs> let's, let's try. Yeah. But the aspiration <laughs> for Goloka then, how do we overcome that? Well, Krishna's tricky. Feeling. He's very tricky, crafty. He's come as Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. He makes it difficult to go to Vaikuntha. As easy as it might be, incidentally in comparison to Braj Bhakti. It's very easy, comparatively, to go to Vaikuntha. Still, he makes it difficult. How does he make it difficult? By talking about Radha and Krishna. And it's so charming. It captivates people's hearts. And then they're stuck here for millions of lifetimes. Mama Janmani, Janmani Shwari, Babatat Bhakti, Rahayitakitai, until they get Swarup Siddhi, and they take birth in Krishna Leela, and, and they're ready for that. So it's a question of hearing enough being charmed. And Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, was, his group is very good at that. So we were able to charm some people away from Vaikuntha. We've got to charm them away from Brahma Jyoti by telling them what will be the loss. The gain will be significant if you look, but you have to tell them what will be the loss. The gain will be that all this suffering will end. Well, what will be the loss? So will you. <laughs> I mean, is it hard to convince somebody not to commit suicide? It's good reasoning anyway. People may not agree, but the gain would be the loss of suffering, but the loss would be far greater. What would be the gain of Vaikuntha? When I don't even belong there anyway, because Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's wisdom Pradaya already put his stamp on me. You belong to me. You belong to Golok. To go there and spend such a long time, only to move on. <laughs> But you have to reason it out. That's what our sampradaya is about. And it captivates people with the idea of Radha Krishna Seva and 
They don't want anything else. The more they hear about it, the more they understand it, the more they get a desire for that, and nothing else can satisfy them. They're driven by that. Obviously, in the beginning, you're, you know, you're questionable, you're marginal, you're marginal Godia, because you've got desires, but good preachers come and try to help you. Sort of that. You want to get relief. As I say, we come with those ambitions. But think about it. Reason it out. I mean, have you ever worshipped Narayan? I've bowed down to learn Narayan. What is South India and perform Nam Sankirtan? People look like you're, you're crazy. What kind of religion is that? Oh, what is that? I've done it. They look at you, what is that? It's weird. They don't really understand it. They have some way of understanding Krishna, but it's very different from ours. You won't feel comfortable. Just go to South India. You won't feel comfortable. Then you go to a Gaudi Vaishnava temple and you feel here, I'm at home. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is there, Radhagudan is there. I'm home. Right? Yes. You're stuck. Mahaprabhu is very tricky. Krishna is very tricky, as I said. I knew of a fellow who got tired of the Hare Krishnas and being a Gaudiya Vaishnava, gave it up, fed up with it, he said. He became a Ramanuja Vaishnava. He went to South India to the Sri Rangam, the seat of Ramanuja Sampradaya. He went in to have darshan of the deity, a Western fellow, and he said, sorry, no Westerners allowed in here. And he said, look, now I'm initiated in the Ramanuja Sampradaya, and had the Tilak, and he knew the, you know, he was an educated fellow and so forth. And I said, sorry, no Westerners allowed, only real Hindus. And he became so frustrated he had come that far. And in his exasperation, he said, oh, Hare Krishna. He said, oh, Hare Krishna, come. Come, come, come. come. You're Hare Krishna. <laughs> so, free pass to Vaikuntha. Only visiting. <laughs> Just visiting, that's all. All right, so... Very nice of you to come. Jai Sri Bhakti Vedanta Sami Prabhupad Ki Jai Uttarakshiv Siddhi Bhusami Maharaj Ki Jai Sri Bhakti Siddhanta Sasri Thakur Prabhupad Ki Jai Sri Bhakti Vinod Paribar Ki Jai Gaur Nitananda Ki Jai Sri Radha Gobinda Ki Jai Gaur Bhakta Binda Ki Jai